Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello again, and a warm welcome to all our listeners tuning into this latest episode from the James Bond Will Return series. Whereas all of our other episodes offer in-depth focus and review, or very informative and revealing interviews, this series offers nothing other than conjecture and speculation, as we talk about a film that doesn't even appear to be anywhere near the horizon, Bond 26. And before we commence, allow me to point you in the direction of our social media channels, we love to podcast, or, or pod, I don't know if that's what you say as a verb, but we also love to reach out to our fellow fans and share our thoughts and ideas with you. We also love to hear what you've got to say and all the ways you celebrate this fantastic series. So please look us up on Facebook, X, and Instagram. We haven't got a TikTok with Tom and Chris doing choreographed dances on loop yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> we must also sorry, recommend our YouTube channel. Not only is it a place where you can see our video interviews with legends from the 007 cast and crew, but it is also a place where you can listen to some of our episodes too, as we've uploaded them there. That's all our social media, but I must remind you to, of course, subscribe to our podcast and on YouTube, as that's your way of being notified when we release content. And at the moment, it's really regular as Tom works his blooming socks off. Anyway, it's Tom's night off tonight. He's just a guest, and it's me attempting to lead this blind search for Bond 26. I started this series, we had this idea to start the series in February, and this is now our fifth episode. In that time, there's been no they progress apart from occasional sound bites from Barbara Broccoli to say that they've done nothing. In this episode, we're talking about the role of the director in Bond 26. We've talked about a few subjects surrounding the production and motivation behind Bond 26, but this is the first one where we actually discuss the actual creative content of the film and those actually involved with the making of the movie. We'll go on to speculate on the actors for the various roles one by one, from Bond himself to Q. We'll also record our views on the composer who gets to do the music and other cast and crew involved. However, this time we're focusing on the director. It's strange that until perhaps Die Another Day in 2002, the discussion of who was directing was never really a huge talking point. Uh, that's changed for a variety of reasons. Firstly, the James Bond films were always in safe hands. Secondly... Die Another Day made artistic decisions that incredibly apparent to even the most casual movie go, and those decisions caused a lot of negative attention for the film. And the other reason is that the status of directors has grown significantly in the last 20 years, especially where the Bond films are concerned. Choosing the director has become as integral as casting Bond for some. All of a sudden, there's a suggestion that Bond can not just be in safe hands, but 
edgy hands and progressive hands, arty hands. But more importantly, a Bond film can be in the hands of a director with a name. So tonight we're chatting and it's me, as you can hear. I've already mentioned that Tom's with us, but so too is his brother and my brother, Matthew. Good evening, Math. Good evening. And then we've also got Rob joining us. I'm well, thank you. How are you, Harry? I'm terrific. Yeah, great for seeing you guys. And finally, we've got Chris. How are you doing, Chris? Good, thanks, you. Good. All good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when I say director, you you might equate it to like the manager or coach of a sports team, or you you might equate it to your office manager who creates the ethos of the workplace. You may compare it to the director, uh, may, may compare it to like the HR and recruitment, the person responsible for casting. And if we take that as the starting point, what role do you think the director should take in the production of Bond 26? Should there be someone who's just artistically involved, point and shoot kind of person? Or guys, do you think the director should be someone who's involved in all the casting, the storytelling, and is actually heavily involved with Bond 26? What do you think, uh, Rob? What, what What would you say? Oh, wow. What the franchise needs is a very steady pair of hands at this point and a very good, I think, action director. I think those would be the main things first and not going along the lines of a stunt casting kind of thing. Mm. Uh, sorry, st- well, stunt appointment, sorry, I should say. Yeah. yeah. You know, like you get stunt casting in movies, whereas, you know, you, I feel like quite a few of the recent Bond directorial appointments have been stunt appointments so i I think someone who obviously knows the material but knows the heritage of the franchise someone who knows just how lucky they are to do it as well and i don't i think everyone actually behind the camera has known that in the past that this is a very fortunate position to be in and someone who will push the envelope visually and i don't mean with special effects but i mean trying things that have never you know this isn't you've got a james bond film is a massive sandbox you can really go for gold and that will involve working closely with writers to make sure that you've got a great story. I think story also has to be paramount here. So I'd like the director to be working with these writers to come up with wowy visuals and wowy excitement things. Excitement things? Is that in- <laughs> exciting things that have something to do with the story? And it's not just we're somewhere now because it looks very good. I'd like it to be we're somewhere now because there's a very integral plot point happening here and James Bond's got to go there for that, you know, for the purposes of saving the world or whatever, you know. You know, I know there's a a lot of generalisation in that there. That's not to say that a big-name director can't do that, but I think this this franchise needs steadying. It needs revitalising and steadying. Martin Campbell did it so well twice, but this is what it needs at this point, someone like a Martin Campbell. Like you say, the writing is important. And there is now this sense that a director can do more than direct because obviously Kerry Fukunaga and No Time Today, you know, he's got a writing credit. I think that's the, he's the first director to, to actually get that. Directing and writing more and more are coming together. They are part and parcel, um, especially where kind of the big names are concerned. And at the moment, we don't know the writers, of course. We do know that Purvis and Wade have been sort of <laughs> kept in the loop and maybe providing some kind of consultation period. Storytelling guns for hire, famously. Yeah, yeah. Goodness me. <laughs> what, what do you think, Matt? Do you think it needs an all-encompassing director who's a grand overseer? Uh, I don't think it necessarily sees... It needs... I don't think it needs an auteur necessarily, but I think... I mean, I think a director should have a hand at least in nearly everything, if not everything... 
But that's not to say they just dictate absolutely every aspect of it. Because what I don't want is for I want this I want I want it to to be unless they're doing like a one-off older Bond type film, unless they're doing a complete one-off. If they're kind of almost resetting to to set it in in place for you know for this next period of 10, 15, 20 years, it would be good to have a steady team of people who are involved. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the director has to be involved all the time, but it would be good to have a bit of consistency. Again, I keep sort of caveating this as well. That isn't so that some films, you know, they need they need to have that so that the story is it keeps continuing from one film to the next and sets up the next film. And, you know, I'm not interested in that for Bond. But I do think that consistency does help. And even within, you know, ha- having having kind of a, a, you know, a steady crew behind the scenes, that doesn't mean that that maybe the tone of film can shift a bit or the, you know, the emphasis. So, for example, like the, it, it was really interesting for World, World Is Not Enough. They brought in a more character driven director. I wouldn't say that's a priority now. I, I would say, you know, that's something you might look at in the future. But I would say someone who can deliver a blockbuster action thriller that fits in as a Bond film, celebrates everything that is good about Bond, isn't afraid of everything that's uh, seen to be Bond. And so, yeah, so a director who can be involved and what knows what he or she wants, but isn't some dictator who will then, you know, if they don't get the, the something they want, then that's it, it's all over. Or, you know, if they don't get this, that, the other, for the for, they don't want, you know, a five picture deal or something like that. Not that directors generally would do that. It's such a different scenario now, the release of a Bond film compared to the 90s and before. Yeah, the director just wasn't as big a name. It did, the director didn't have quite as big a say. Do you, uh, given that that, I think we'd all accept that that's the situation and kind of the, the uh, role of the director's changed a little bit. Do you think there's any argument, Chris, for possibly just wondering about whether it's worth going back to how it was in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, where it is more of a, a family vibe, the, the you know, the crew on set, etc., and the director is not a big name, and it's actually, we all talk about a, an unknown being appointed for Bond. What about, you know, a reasonably unknown director? Yeah, I, I think... <sighs> I think we've kind of passed that now. I think it would be nice to to be able to do that to see someone who's who's come up through the ranks. You know, obviously like a like a John Glenn, but I just don't think that's ever going to happen. I think that the 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 what Eon want to achieve with the franchise is very different to what it was during the seventies, eighties, and and early nineties. So I think that that I can't see them hiring someone who doesn't have baggage who isn't a name or is associated with something because I think that the, I get the feeling that they still want to sort of please the critics and the audiences and they see that to please the critics you have to get uh, a director who maybe has more credentials than an action director would have because there's some great action filmmakers uh, who sort of go under the radar who uh, would be I think would be well suited to to the to the franchise, but I just don't see them doing that. I think 
I think now they see the director as as important as almost the lead, and I think that that's yeah. why the casting will be done with that director, um, and that's why I think it's really important. And obviously, we have no we no idea w- w- what direction it's going to, and that's that's the tricky thing, isn't it? It's like, are we are, are we going to continue down the kind of the tone of the the Craig years, or are we going to do more something like Pierce Brosnan? Are we going to do you know maybe something completely different? Until we know what the tone is and, and the direction of the story, you know, it's really difficult to think of a, of a filmmaker. And I understand why there is this sort of uh, kind of dragging the feet um, in terms of releasing information, because I'm sure it must be really difficult until you've cracked that story and, and you know, and kind of mm. sketched out. And what, you know, obviously something they didn't do post Casino Royale in terms of actually having a plan. I think that's if if this franchise is going to be a success. It has to be based on learning the lessons of the Daniel Craig era, which is we need to think ahead about what we're going to do with this franchise. And obviously things change, you know, you might have a George Lazenby type situation where the actor suddenly, you know, tries to get out of the contract or walks away or that, you know, the director seeing what happened with Danny Boyle, anything can happen. But I do think in terms of pitching it as that, we've got a rough idea of for the next three, four films, this is what we want to achieve. And here are some plot points that we're going to include then that you start that sh- that that long list becomes quite short in terms of who to approach to direct it or write it, and hopefully it's not Purvis and Wade. <laughs> you mentioned the Craig era, and you mentioned tone, and I do think it's quite interesting in that there's been a story arc for the Craig years, as you can <laughs> Craig years, yeah. But interestingly enough, there has been a variety of director. You know that within those films of his, that you know, there's been different names that i think that's quite nice when you've got a consistent actor playing bond but then different flavors of direction i don't think the di- the directors have massively been you know there's not been massive differences in their direction necessarily which is a good thing but i think i don't think it's quite nice when you've got the consistent bond actor but some different flavors of direction with that same actor. So you've got the consistency, but with just, and it's a bit like Math said before with Michael Apted doing The World Is Not Enough, you know, some there'll be certain times when a certain director is what's needed for that moment in the franchise and where it is in, in the cinema, you know, cinema history and what's required. I'd say in, the, in that Craig era, with those different flavours of direction, you know, you've got like, obviously Mendes, Fukunaga, Forster, but for me, the most successful of those, the most successful film I would argue, and probably everyone would say, is Casino Royale. And that was actually by kind of the less showy director. I don't want to say workmanlike, because that's really, really unfair, but there's no stylistic choices that shout out, hey, you know, look at the director. There's nothing that wants to signpost things towards Martin Campbell's craft. And yet it is seen not just as the best of the Craig era, but one of the best of the franchise. Lots of people hold that as their favourite. Also kind of makes me think about the Mission Impossible series in that they're doing really successfully at the moment. And again, the director of those is not massively famous or acclaimed and known by everyone. You know, it's... it's that's it. Tom Cruise is the main pull, and they're very successful with Tom, Tom Cruise. Your average person isn't going to know who directs this run of... Mission Impossible films. So, so it's kind of that an- anonymity, if I've said that right. You know, the anonymous director always like kind of creates an effective action adventure that audiences love. Whoever we get directing Bond 26, do you think, like Mission Impossible, they should commit to a few? And we've kind of talked, talked about this a little bit. Or do you think, Tom, 
and I think we've you know we've talked about it in previous episodes. Should this just be handled as a as a one off, like Casino Royale was with Martin Campbell, and, and I'll get on to talk about that later. But I don't think you know I don't know how much the, of a plan there was for Martin Campbell to do a trilogy or a you know a story arc with with him in charge. But do you think this next one should have the director in mind for more than the next Bond twenty six? Well, with the Bond films, it's a unique franchise because it's really the first big franchise that has the character as the main thing. That should be, above all, that's the most important thing. The second biggest thing in all of it is the producers and the broccolis, effectively, over the years, who look after it. I know people have said he's like a godfather figure, and that resonates with, we're not going to let anyone just touch it. We're not going to let anyone come in and direct it and use it as an advert for their own career. We want people to come in who we trust, and we will reward them (laughs) with, with loyalty. No. You know, so <laughs> if you look back to the history of it, Terence Young did the first two, no intention to get rid of him for Goldfinger. It was his decision. Then Guy Hamilton comes in, no intention to get rid of him after Goldfinger. Terence Young comes back. It's exactly, it just keeps going on. They're not yeah. like trying to change it. And even then, they go back to Lewis Gilbert, don't they? Years later, after You Only Live Twice, Peter Hunt, perhaps he was the only one maybe in the earlier years who. Well, I think we'd all agree he should have he should have stayed on, but various things happened and the film wasn't as well received. And you get Guy Hamilton back with Sean Connery, so that's different. You're only going to get a John Glenn if you've had a decade plus of trust with working with all these people. You, you won't get any. You won't get anything like that now because there has not been that consistent thing. Unless, for instance, they could have appointed Vic Armstrong or something like that at one stage as the director after he'd done a lot of second unit. But mm. no one really, I mean, there's been people like Chris Bort, Corbold, and that's sort of stunt arrangers, but you're not, they're not going to just transform them from stunt straight to directing or anything like that. What should happen, there are two things, like you say, the Mission Impossible is a bit like Bond in that the character slash stunt is the main thing. The directors are secondary, the writers are secondary, and it is a, a star name. Okay, Bond is not necessarily all about the actor but it's about the character. And what yeah. the, so the first half of those films, they could go that route where each film is sufficiently, you know, two or three, four years apart. We can have, we can afford to have different styles with it. And that was Tom Cruise's choice, obviously, to have all these different directors. They're not that different in terms of, they're all action, aren't they? The focus is action. It's not like one wanted to focus particularly on a love story or one wanted to focus on a long running thing. And then I've got, then you've got Chris Quarry who, really continue the work that J.J. Abrams started. There is a crossover. Mm. So it's not like there's just someone random come in and let him do that. So you could do you could do that route. And obviously Christopher Nolan would be the, the, the main man, you'd say, to do the Christopher Macquarie route, where he'd come in as an executive producer, because I think he co-wrote one of the earlier ones, didn't he? Ghost Protocol, and then sort of stayed mm. on as director. And the people have mentioned that about executive producer. But then to go back again to the 90s with Bond, Martin Campbell, you know, John Glenn said, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd realised that they weren't going to ask him back after the six years out, a bit like Timothy Dalton, they were going to just try something new. Martin Campbell, interesting choice. But again, I think they asked they asked him to come back for Tomorrow Never Dies. They asked Roger Spottiswood to come back. They asked Michael Apted to come back. They're not, still at this stage, they're not like, oh, no, we want a, direct, a different director for each of these Brosnan films. That was never the intention. Mm. And I think even with... 
obviously Tamahore wasn't going to get invited back, but Martin Campbell probably he just says, "Well, I'm only interested in doing new breaking new bonds, effectively new actors their first film." So the, I suppose they knew he wasn't going to return for Quantum. I've said it many times before, but it's the Mark Forster is the one that changed everything because he's the first one where they effectively hired someone with no real action experience, someone who is a flashy director in, in many respects. And that, to be fair, some of that came with the stunts that, that were brought on and the born editors. But that was the one which sort of said, actually, you can do your own thing as a director. And and because of the writer's strike as well, I think he presumably had impact with that. Another point you mentioned was that, you know, the directors are now a bigger name and they have more say and they're more famous because Fukunaga got a writing credit. But when we've spoken to John Glenn, you know, he was yeah, he was storyboarding yeah. everything. It's just that yeah. that those attitude of those people wouldn't be like, Oh, I want a story credit or anything like that. Yeah. She probably, you know, <laughs> Like the Fiore's only pre-title sequence, I think John Glenn basically wrote that whole thing, storyboarded it all, and said, "I've got this idea for that. I've got the idea for this for this bit, and particularly the action bits and all that." And it yeah. was three, wasn't it, with uh, Michael G. Wilson and Dick Maybaum who were doing the whole thing as a three, really, in meetings. Yeah, I'd love that to happen again, perhaps with a different two two summers writers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, you know. It, the thing is, is that it need it needs to be led by the producers if they do have the energy for it. That's what my preferred thing would be. If Barbara and Michael are still interested in it, and Greg the son, if they're really willing to commit to it, they need to do so. And I don't mind them having full charge then, because there's a. It's not the case of oh that these lot they're quite ruthless. If you don't do it right, they'll sack you, and they don't. Until Danny Boyle, where you get someone who is very, very creative, a very creative director. And yet, presumably, Daniel Craig coming along saying, no, I want this to happen. That's where it gets messed up. I don't think if if there was any talk, Daniel Craig hadn't introduced the idea of Bond dying, Danny Boyle would have made that film. He wouldn't have fallen out with Broccoli and Wilson over any like minor story points or anything like that. I mean, okay, we don't know everything. We will hopefully we'll find out one day. I mean, you look to Marvel and things like that where you get the, the they have this Kevin, whatever, Feige, Feige, I don't know how you say it, who sort of exec produces them all. And they get, what is it, like a, they have to have directors who've never done a film that's made 100 million or some stupid rule like that, you know, or directors that are arty and they don't, which all that tells you is the producers are doing the film. They're right. They're right. The producers, they're making the film. The directors don't have any say whatsoever. I don't want the Bond thing to get like that, where the producers are so high and mighty that they just do not allow any creative freedom. I want them to all work together, but I don't want it to be a very, very important role in the, oh, look, so-and-so is doing the new Bond film. It's interesting for film fans and everything, and when we get to talk about who actual name suggestions, there could be a big name to do it, but it, it if it has a big name, it'll be because they're a damn good filmmaker, not because... They want to turn up the series and do something different with it. I have some superb analysis and great thoughts. And you're right to hark back to those days where actually the director was involved with the writing and, you know, making artistic decisions. They're just, now there's a credit available. There is, you know, going forward after Fukunaga getting one for No Time to Die, there is a credit available. I just wanted to totally agree, really, and, and ask a big question. 
of, of us already growing up watching James Bond. When was the first time you started taking notice of who the director was? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I honestly, I couldn't. I had to learn it later. Yes, I would yeah. imagine yeah. that you you would have probably taken an interest earlier than most. I would have thought. Yeah, only because I would have recognised, <laughs> like, oh, you know, oh, that's him. He directed uh, Battle of Britain, and then I went. There, yeah, you know, yeah. Kind of, that only in that. That that sense, it was never like, yeah, or like, oh, they, they made some interesting films. It was that name again, but no, not in the same way that, oh, now that they're back, I'm going to expect this sort of filmmaking. It mm. was never like, you know, I, I never felt that the, their presence had such an impact on the overall film that it was like this is you could notice this is definitely one by you know so and so maybe later <laughs> you, you know you could someone like john glenn you would go ah oh, right yeah that, that there's some familiar kind of you know yeah feelings about that but no it was never never anything like can't wait for the next lewis gilbert <laughs> <laughs> that's what i mean like so the first the first time i realized that i was aware of who was directing a james bond film before it came out was lee tamahori and yeah, then yeah. after that, it was back to no. It's just like because they'd made a you know a, a fuss of Tamahori, and then when I heard it was Campbell, so it was really again this pivotal point when I think that James Bond. Th- so this is, I mean, I think like collectively as a group, we we all sort of feel like a big change happened with Dying of the Day, and and we're a group that actually liked that film a lot, you know. And then things change, and the business changes, and it's a bit like. The family nature, the family orientated filmmaking side of the James Bond franchise was dissolved around that point, you know, and it's no longer that, you know, we, we talk to people about and they always say it's like a big family. We haven't spoken to many people from the, the from the last 20 years who say that so much, that it's one big family, the James Bond films, whereas in the 60s, 70s and 80s, it was just, oh, you knew everyone. It was amazing. We were all together. You just couldn't wait for the next shoot to start so you could be together again and that translated for me it totally translate for me upon the film that the cohesion was gone the synergy had gone when you get a director in a director i i think to be honest i think that the, the best thing a director can do seriously is to be completely unnoticed if you've swept yeah. someone up so much in a film and given them a, an amazing time or given them an experience that, that that will live with them which is what movies can do the last thing you should at that point is, I want my name to be front and centre on all that. You know, yeah. like, and, and so, sadly, some people do. Some people do want that for their for their films. Mm-hmm. What I think you should do is, rather than your name being all over it and the pomp and circumstance being of your name, make your work indelible. Make your work carry your name. Yeah. Rather than your name being a stunt moment for, for, you know, for people to, I don't know, you know, get excited about or whatever. Because then, ever since then, it was... You know, Mark Forster, wow, that's going to be, you know, um, Campbell, uh, what was exciting about Campbell was how great he'd done with Goldeneye. You're absolutely right, yeah. Rob, though. But this, this is not this is not a family business anymore. And this is not, and it doesn't show when you're up there. And yeah, I mean, like Christopher McQuarrie doing the, the Mission Impossibles, he does them and he tries something new every time. And yes, I, you know, I don't know whether the guy, me and him, I, we probably might not be able to gel too great having a beer together. Can we take that out? I don't know why would I say that. No, I have no idea why I would say <laughs> anything. But I don't, you know, like his Twitter, his Twitter is quite great thing. But 
he puts the movie first. He puts the movie first above everything else. And that's yeah. what, the, you know, someone coming in needs to do. I think the director of a James Bond film, the director of a franchise film like this, and I think they did this really quite well with Harry Potter movies as well, yeah. is that they, you know, the more those Harry Potter movies went on, the less I know who did them. Yeah. I, I got no idea by the end. I yeah. got no idea who did who did them by the end. Yeah. But that was a family atmosphere that kept pro- producing outstanding content. What a great comparison! Box office gold, yeah. and was, yeah. every year, and the production unit didn't change. Yeah. They just refreshed and kept it going and kept it all in house. This at the moment, I mean, I love because it, it feels like we're scrabbling about in the dark here, looking for positivity in what outwardly appears like, you know, the inmates running the asylum. <laughs> it really does at this point. It's so true what you say, Rob, you know, about as children, we didn't know who was responsible and directing them. And you talk about, like, the family vibe and stuff like that. And it, that's not doing them a disservice. You know, there are Oscar winners in that family, you know, that's unbelievably successful without having being a big name. You know, it's just it's just how things have changed. I think the, I think the mighty more, normal ones, though, yeah, like, exactly. do you think yeah. he cares that Norman yeah. Wonstall is a household name or not? No, exactly. he worked on that franchise. Exactly. Deeply proud of his time right. on that, and it yeah. came across in every moment of that interview. You exactly, had that's what I'm thinking. Oh. That's what I'm thinking. Those listening and having this conversation, the excitement is to throw names out there. So we'll we'll, we'll start to kind of throw some names out. And, and of course, the biggest one <laughs> at the moment to be linked with directing Bond 26 is Christopher Nolan. And that's a fairly substantiated link. But I think we should leave him maybe to the end because I think it's quite important we don't have him in mind when we consider a few other names. Because at the moment, he's kind of becoming the yardstick. He's kind of changing the palette, if you know what I mean. It's nice to not have him in mind at the moment and just think completely fresh, you know, completely blank canvas when we're thinking who we consider for this Bond 26, good to keep the palace clean as possible. And as we think about like what other directors there are and what they could offer. And Tom before was talking about how, you know, in the early decades, you'd go from one, there'd be a break and then it'd return to a director from a few movies previous. I suppose it's worth us considering might any directors return and I think from what where, the way the conversations are going, the name that people would love to see return is Martin Campbell. You know, he's done an outstanding job kickstarting new, two new eras in the franchise with Goldeneye and then with Casino Royale. When he was asked if he would return, he, he did say he would definitely, he'd certainly consider it. But like Tom has mentioned, it's, it, he, he favours doing the one-off kind of kickstarting an era. But to me, you know, he seems humble and... Extremely talented, undoubtedly. Uh, what makes Bond have such appeal? Well, you know, it's the old adage of uh, all men want to be him and all women want to go to bed with him. So, and that's a description that's gone on for years and still does. Creativity and creative process to me is just having the independence to be able to, to make the story and the film that I want to make, to be given that freedom, to be able to interpret the script right from the beginning. Um, with as little interference as possible, but with hopefully some good advice as I go along. Work hard. <laughs> That's all I can tell you about filmmaking is there's no easy way um, and everybody gets there differently, but um, I think it's just uh, work your ass off 
and just never give up. That's my advice. I think he would be game for it. I think, you know, he'd be up for it. It's not ridiculous to suggest Martin Campbell coming back. What do you reckon, Math? Martin Campbell for Bond 26. If I could offer you him now. Um, Sorry about that noise I made. Um, (laughs) It was quite delicious. I don't know whether I would. Oh. I don't know whether I would. Just because I think could probably... I think I'm sure he would do another another good job. It's not a step back, but it's not a great step forward that you have to have come back to the same guy for a third time after, well, nearly 30 years after the first time he, he did a Bond film. It will be 30 years probably by the time they, they, they get going. 20 years after doing, resetting it for another time. I'm sure he could do, uh, I'm sure he could do a good job, but it's quite, I don't know. He's getting on a bit now. I don't know how you... I don't know. I, uh, sorry, Harry, I'm not really making much no. sense. I think... No, if no, he, no. If, if he was, is, if, some of it's like a good if, feeling as well, isn't if, it? So. If he was to be doing it, then obviously I'm sure it would be just for one again. So I would like to see a bit of forward plan. you know, like I was saying before, a bit of sort of forward planning in the background to make sure there's a bit of consistency behind it. A good thing about him is that he's not someone who, even though I'm a huge Nolan fan and I think he would do this and I'd probably be... He's the only one I'd be all right with him doing this. Martin Campbell wouldn't say, right, I'm having him, 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 her, her, her. And then they are people that aren't going to stick around for another film or two. I think we need some consistency behind the scenes, as I say. So Martin Campbell will be good in that respect. He knows how to how to make an action film. He really does. Me and Betty watched Mask of Zorro recently. Yes, oh, she's yes, seen it. Yes, yeah. And she absolutely loved it. So, and, you know, he's done other good films as well. I, I would be perfectly happy with that. I don't know whether I'd take it just now, though. Well, I think if it were to be him, it would be just now. That's the only... If I kind of... Tom mentioned it before. It, he's not the kind of person... It's worth clarifying this. He's not the person who would commit to two or three films, three or four. He's not as interested as you think in that. In, in, in other interview, he's commented on why he chose, he chose not to come back for Quantum of Solace. And he said, with Bond, his character is his character. You're not discovering much more, if you see what I mean. So that was the reason I decided to back off doing more. And I think, yeah, with, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies, like Tom mentioned, if it were to be Martin Campbell, it would be Bond 26. It wouldn't be for Bond 26, 27, 28. Tom, Martin Campbell, I know you're you, you're a fan. But, and you know, and I know Maths a fan, but Maths just said, you know, maybe he's not the right choice now. What do you think, Tom? What made him come back for Legend of Zorro? <laughs> well, yes. No one cares yeah. about it. Great. Rufus Sewell is the baddie, you know. One of the biggest endings that... I've ever seen on film. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think that was the. I think that might have been the film before Casino Real. So, could be. Yeah, mm. I can't decide. It's a bit, a bit tied in with David Arnold in that a lot of the fans would love him to come back. The producers seem to still have a good relationship with them, but they don't quite. Things seem to have moved on, and I know the. Maybe in 2005, people have said things have moved on since Martin Campbell, but it was 10 years, wasn't it? It's, it's not a massive gap. Nearly, I mean, the guy's in his, he must be mid 70s maybe now. That, mm. I mean, that doesn't matter to me because there's a few of the people I'd like to direct getting on a bit. But <laughs> I think, yeah, Martin Campbell, of course, he'd do a great job. I don't know whether he'd want to be involved with casting. I don't know how much he was involved with casting the others. I know, of course, John Glenn says, he did the screen test, didn't he, for Pierce when they thought he was coming on for Living Daylight. So I don't think they needed to do much casting for that. And then Daniel Craig was the main one where there was a bit of, 
you know, Duray Scott and other people did screen test, didn't they? I don't know how much impact that would have. Because if you do get the Nolan, then I'm sure he would want to be involved with that. I'm not that bothered about if he does one, as long as there's a, a template. You know, I don't, yes. I don't need a director to commit to two or three films. I'm not bothered about that. And if he just does the first one, we know it'll be build, doing the building blocks. It's not his fault. Yeah. Mark Forster et al. cocked it up a bit. In yeah. As much as I like that film, why on earth would he come back for that? Like, you know, like 10 minutes after the end of Casino Royale. It's just not, it's just not an interesting yeah. story for a director like him. He's not a writer-director, is he? Either? No, no. I mean, so <laughs> there, that is a bit different. And, you know, if if he was to stay on, he'd probably be doing it because he'd be, if he was a writer-director, he'd, you know, be wanting yeah. to have... I don't know whether you'll mention Sam Mendes, but he didn't intend to continue. Yeah, I'll get on to... I will. I'll, okay, I'll get right. on. Yeah. I don't think that the current regime will go with it, would go for it. He's not flashy enough. They, they, everything at the moment that it seems like they want to do is to make a statement. And by they, obviously, I mean the current producing duo. They want to make a statement. They want to make a splash. They want to kill James Bond. They want to bring James Bond back now. They want to make a splash. Whatever it is they do next, they're not going to hire Martin Campbell in his 70s to do this. He's done <laughs> no, two James right. Bonds before. They're not at all. And and this is part of the problem for me, actually. I think Honestly, I think... At this point in time, and this is what 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 I have to you know like because obviously I get a lot of flack for this, but there's there's like I'm aware that the Craig era has made a, a huge amounts of money, uh, you know I'm I'm completely aware of that, um, but I do think it's based off the words James Bond more than pretty much anything else. If this was any other spy franchise, it wouldn't have made it past Quantum of Solace. That would have been, been cancelled immediately. You certainly wouldn't be thinking about reinvigorating a five-movie franchise at this point, where in in movie five the guy tops himself. You wouldn't be thinking of that. So <laughs> it's not. This is all living off past glories, you know. So mm. then they're not interested. I honestly don't believe this. That they're interested in safety, uh, or at least anything that that might work to pull things together. No, that, that, I'm sorry, that, that makes me question their motives. I, I, of course, I think they want it to succeed, but I think they want it to succeed on their terms. And, you know, we talk about, earlier we were talking about directors going, you know, like, hey, you know, isn't it great that my name's on this? I think that's what they think. I think they, they're very, very happy that this is mm. the Broccoli and G. Wilson show. And I think they're bigger, they think they're bigger than the whole thing. I really do, actually. Mm. I really do. So, no, okay. I don't think... Campbell will get anywhere near it. So I was going to add into the mix, and I'm absolutely going to throw him under the bus, is Daniel Craig, how much influence he had post Martin Campbell on choice of director. He obviously knew where it was going to go. You know, this is someone who had worked with a lot of art house directors, uh, films, worked with Sam Mendes quite a lot on the stage. So I, I, I get the, the sense that he had on quite, you know, I don't know if he vetoed or yeah, I think he had certainly, he certainly had, had Barbara's influence. Yes, over the direction of the directors <laughs> that that he was be able to say, you know, he he actively recruited Sam Mendes, didn't he, for for, for Skyfall, and then obviously they wrote a massive check and he came back again, and I, and I'm sure that he obviously knew, you know, Fukunaga through <clears throat> the work that he'd done 
you know, some of the, the, the less mainstream films he'd done and, and award-winning kind of dramas and films that he had done. So I, I, I'm imagining that he had quite a lot of impact on on the steering of, of choices, which makes it interesting to see what, you know, what happens when they cast the new sort of Bond. You know, you know you're not going to get, I don't think you're going to get another Daniel Craig again. I think you're going to end up with um, maybe someone who doesn't have the same amount of influence, certainly. Yeah, well, and, Chris, and, sorry. Well, would you would you have Martin Campbell though, quickly, Chris? Because I know you're a big I, fan. I, I am a big fan of, of him, and he is. He's not necessarily safe for hands. He's a pair of really solid, and he's. You know, I would be confident in the in the shape of the franchise if mm. if he was doubted. Yeah. But again, his age. You know, he's, he's sort of going against him. You know, the franchise is very in a very different place to where he left it. But I would be, I would certainly, if I was, if I was Eon, I'd certainly have a have a meeting with him. Say, what ideas have you got? You know, what tell me what you want to do because each Bond film he did are quite different and you know mm. very influential. You know, mm. I think the stuff that he. The action, certainly, I think in both films, as, as you can see how that has influenced other action films. I think he's a, he's a, he's a really solid filmmaker uh, who obviously leans more towards thrillers and action films. But I just I just can't imagine them. I think if if there was a if there was a more if there was if there was a, a director who carried kind of more weight, I think they would definitely choose them over Campbell. I can't imagine mm. them. You know, if if for example, you know, if if a Nolan or like say someone of that ilk came forward and said, "I want to do it." They would trample over Campbell to get them to sign, yeah. I always feel. You're right to bring up the influence that Daniel Craig's had on the choice of director. I am, for this conversation, I am cleansing my palate of him as well. I am assuming he's not going to have any say. There is still the outside chance. You never know that Daniel Craig might return in some capacity as some kind of producer or... And, uh, you know, that would change things. That would... Mm. I'd come to, that, to me, that would come as a real blow. We need to get back to, you know, at least we can be happy at the moment. Barbara and Michael are without his influence. I know that sounds really, really negative towards Daniel Craig, but this really is is a, a blank slate now, and I don't think it would be fair for him to carry on. He's had his, he's he's had his say. He's had his, you know, he's had his farewell. He's had it all. But I think my quick answer for Martin Campbell would be, I probably wouldn't choose him. But if you told me Martin Campbell was directing Bond Twenty Six, I'd be absolutely thrilled. So I'd, you know. I, Mm. You know, so obviously he did Casino Royale. Turning to another attorney, there are questions whether Mark Foster would return after Quantum. And <laughs> apparently he's not seen the film since he made it, but he did. He does like it, and he has a few regrets about the writing strike, mostly. He did turn down returning for Skyfall. In a quote, Mark Foster said, Barbara asked me to do Skyfall, and I just felt I couldn't do another. Because the pressure's so big to make one of those movies. I wanted to do an independent film. It's a year, year and a half of your life, and it's non-stop. But I definitely would consider doing another one. <laughs> Turning things upside down isn't a bad thing. I'm, I'm exhausted. They asked me to. I incredibly really enjoyed this journey, but making this movie. But uh, I'm, you know, I, I like to do switch genres. So I'm gonna do probably something more small, intimate. I think mainly, you know, it's a, it's a film to be entertained. And, and enjoy, and it's sort of the idea I had in my head, it's like, a, it should feel like a bullet that starts and keeps you at the edge of the seat until the last frame. But at the same time, uh, you know, there are several issues that are being raised in the film, sort of in, in, as a back, sort of backdrop. And uh, I think there, so in regard to like water shortage around the world and the water crisis we're gonna face, 
Uh, also, the villain is called Mr. Green. Not everybody who is green is necessarily good. <laughs> so, you know, it's little things like that I threw in just uh, to make it interesting. But ultimately, it's, it's made for, to have, for people to have a, a joy ride and, you know, especially in the times we live right now for a, a, an hour and a like uh, two hours to, like, forget and just enjoy. So, you know, he might well do it if we're looking at two directors now we've got Martin the idea of Martin Campbell returning or Mark Forster returning. Need I ask whether you'd like Mark Forster, Math? You turned down Martin uh, Campbell. Yeah, no, I, I would actually like Mark. No, <laughs> yeah. absolutely not. No. Very no. quick answer, no. Not it's a no for you. Yeah. Tom? Because you, you are a quantum defender. Yeah, I am, you, yeah. You, 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 rate, you rank quantum above Casino Royale, is that right? I, I don't think it's as good a film but I prefer to watch it. I prefer to throw it on. And I think... Is it, that worth something, though? It's got, it's got to be worth something, yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think the things that everyone criticises for Quantum are his fault. The, the editing is not really his thing, because if you look at his other films, they're not like that. Mm. And the story and the quickness of it all, yes... I'm sure he would, as a director, would have liked a two-hour cut of Quantum and it would have made more sense and it would have yeah. been a film. If you look at some of his other... I mean, I'm just looking at his CV. So random. Like Monster's Ball, Finding Neverland, Stranger Than Fiction, Machine Gun Preacher, brilliant film, World War Z, or yeah. I did brilliantly at the box office. You know, no, they're all big films, but no one yes. directed them. Christopher Robin... <laughs> Yeah, I'm called. <laughs> Is that the one with um, Tom Hanks? You know, I don't, cares. no one cares who directed these films. They don't. So he's not. He's not somebody who is a. The film is a very flashily directed film, but I don't necessarily think his he's name a isn't. Yeah, director. Yeah, I don't think for a second he would be asked back though. If yeah. you look at the that documentary, you know, the being Daniel Craig being <laughs> yes, on, yes. I mean, what you know, they made it before. <laughs> they made it before No Time to Die came out, so now it makes absolutely no sense, does it? They should have done it after. But but with that, they were like, oh, isn't Casino Royale brilliant? We'll spend hours and hours on that. Oh, isn't Skyfall? Wasn't that brilliant? We'll spend hours yeah. and hours. Forget Quantum. Forget Spectre. They were embarrassed, weren't they, and apologetic. Yeah, they were like, oh, the writers <laughs> tried. And yeah. my thing with it was, no, the, the the first and the third Craig films aren't, I don't think they're as good as everyone says, and I don't think the second and fourth are as bad as everyone says. And the... I, I don't find them being a bit more proud of their work. Yeah, yeah. And the but thing you've got to be prepared for is that in a decade, it like happens so much with these Bond films, sometimes it can take decades for them to gain appreciation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should never write off, you know, for me, there is a struggle with Quantum of Solace. There's a struggle with lots of Craig's films, in my opinion. But I, I have a capacity in my mind to... Realize that they might, I might develop an appreciation for them. The way the world, how the world changes, and how the franchise yeah. changes, I, you know, there's no need to be embarrassed about it. Um, for me, it's a no, though. To Mark, to Mark for are you saying it's, yeah. you saying it's yeah. going to get worse, Harry? And that we're going to be like, you know, like, gosh, do you remember how good we had it in the crazy? Rob, era? Rob, that is <laughs> that's my general opinion. That's my that's yeah. my um, defense mechanism at the moment. That's my comfy blanket. To can you imagine how bad things are for you to feel that way, <laughs> um, Rob? Oh. Mark Forster, yes or no? Well, well, no. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. further to add. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think it was his fault that Quantum of Solace has its detractors. I think it's a better movie than people let on. 
It's not a James Bond film, for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, sort of kind of shoddily put together. It was the movie that made me think that James Bond had died forever. And I didn't watch another one of any kind for 10 years afterwards. <laughs> so no thanks, Mark Dawson. Even if some of those things weren't weren't his fault or something, the question was, is he the person to come back to now? So. Yes. Yes, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> no, he's not someone I would even consider. I think he's he's got a track record of uh, interesting choices. I think he chooses some really interesting films. They're all a bit like underwhelming. And I think that he came on with um, Quantum of Solace. And there, there's some stuff that I do like about it. And it is kind of, every time I go back to it, I think actually it's quite enjoyable. There's some stuff that I do like. Like I say, it doesn't feel like a Bond film. And, you know, it's not the only film that he directed that had kind of issues with scripts and rewrites and endings and stuff like that. So I, he is not the safer hands, I think, you would want mm. to be involved. So I would I would veto uh, Mark Foster. The, um, the quotation I read from him before... It mentioned, you know, the pressures of directing a Bond film. And that Tom wanted to mention Sam Mendes before. He's another director, if we go on to Sam Mendes, to talk about the pressures involved. And this is now a bit of a new theme that didn't exist before, where, and I suppose it's, you know, when you've, if you've got big directors, we start to have clashes and we start to have pressures. And, um, but Mark, you know, this is a new factor that you've got to think about. Sam Mendes told the Sunday Times after Spectre, he said this, he says, my stomach churns. This is thinking about directing a Bond film. My stomach churns. It's just so hard. You feel like the England football manager. You think, if I win, I'll survive. If I lose, I'll be pillared. There's no victory, just survival. Well, it's funny um, that, that no one else who, you know, in the well, storied history of the franchise felt that way. I know, so I know. Very sorry about that. It's this. Yeah, it's not a phrase I like to use very often, but, you know, grow a pur. You know, yeah. you've just yeah. you've been given the the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, you know yeah. what? If you can't if you can't stand if you can't step up to it at the beginning, <laughs> then you shouldn't be you shouldn't be you should just said oh. no straight away. I, I just don't understand. Yeah. You don't hear Martin Campbell say, Oh, it was quite hard. Yeah, of course it's hard. <laughs> You're in charge yeah. of basically this massive army and everyone is asking you questions day in, day out. If you're not up for that you shouldn't be directing motion picture films of that scale. You should go back to theatre. This is what I don't understand why people aren't friends. Came back time again, and it's only down to writing that check that he was just so greedy, he thought, yeah, I'll have that. It was huge figures, weren't they, thrown around for for his salary for for Spectre. And and for me, that's the other thing that I, I really dislike about that film is it's done for the wrong reasons and you feel it there's no joy there's no life in that film for me it is <laughs> you've talked to before dead. about it's it being embarrassed walk, to be walking corpse yeah. that film <laughs> well, <was he? laughs> to, add, to add a bit more flesh to the bones i think this the corpse, is something... yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing that's becoming more and more of a factor to me this so director Phil, a Bond film, you've got to be absolutely honoured. He's done two, mm. but then you know it, it emerges he isn't, and by his, he admits it, he's he's, a, he's not a huge Bond fan. He's on record saying, "I was never interested." What? Listen, I was never interested, and I don't think I saw most of the Pierce Brosnan films. I was not into them at the time, and then when Daniel got cast, I was interested because he was a friend and I had worked with him. There are things I like about the Mendes films, and he's done some things more Bond in some ways than some of the others. But I, I, this attitude can't, I can't, even if this is taken out of context from years previous, whoever we get, I'm going to put my foot down here, whoever we get as the Bond director, there can be no quotes like this going out at oh, all. Yeah. 
Oh, no, it's appalling. How do you end up at this position here when you've got a director and a star of one of the biggest, most loved franchises going who both hate it? Yeah. Absolutely outrageous. Can you imagine Terrence and then Young, got, John Glenn, honestly, saying these things? <laughs> it's a disgrace. Yeah. And this is this embodies where we are. It does. And because Barbara, Barbara and, and, and uh, sorry, Broccoli and, and G Wills, just obsessed, absolutely enamored. They were absolutely oh, on their knees at the altar of Craig and, mm. and with whatever Craig wanted. And Craig was, you know, oh, you know, we need to get Mendez in. Of course, we'll we'll get the money. We'll get we'll give him the money. We'll give him the money. Hopeless. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's, it, the, boils that's the issue blood. around with with what's right for the franchise and what is like glory hunting. It's like we've got Sam Mendes. Well, he's one of he did you know all these other films, so we'll take him. He's not the right person for this film and this franchise, but yeah. we'll have him anyway because what he carries is weight, and he'll get the the, the you know the we'll, he'll, he'll be able to get us the reviews, be able to get us the awards, and that was the yeah. that was and that was the beginning, I think, of it. And that's why I say on those when we reviewed it is that Skyfall and 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 Pope, basically post Casino Rail. The series be, was becoming slightly embarrassed that it was a Bond film, and that's because yeah. you've got directors who do not like those films coming in, yeah. thinking this is going to help my career. This is a great experience. It's like directing a Marvel film. Go in, I get to get to tick that off on my on my CV. I've done special effects, I've done stunts, I've done multiple shoots, I've done all these things. Great, I can do that, and I'll move on to and start doing my own thing. And Mendes was the beginning of that. And not to say that Skyfall is a bad film. I did enjoy it, and I think there's a lot that like it. But that 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 underlying kind of issue has always been there, and it's always made me really uncomfortable that it's not happy. That it's, let's, let's slowly pull away the stuff that the right, no gun barrel. Right, let's do something else. No gadgets, yeah. you know. This is it. I could I could be really generous and convince myself, actually, the things I don't like about Skyfall and Spectre are not to do with Sam Mendes, really. The, you know, the writing has to take a lot of responsibility at times. Mm. There, there are things that I don't like about Mendes' choices. You mentioned the gun barrel and things. That's if I'm being generous. But at the end of the day, I just can't have that kind of attitude coming and approaching not just James Bond, but this point in James Bond where they're potentially going to define the next decades, the next few decades and set it up. Um, oh, you mean the next film? So Because that's how infrequently they make these things now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you doing another Bond film? Are you doing another Bond film? Are you doing another Bond film? Are you? I, that's, we were just saying that's what the press line has been like for you guys lately, right? <laughs> Yes, they get one question each, and it's the same question all the way every down. time. Yeah. They, they said to me, you know, do you think it'd be a good bond? And I said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> because, and I'm, I'm not joking, actually, that someone called me from Entertainment Weekly and said, you know, asked for a comment on my friend Daniel, who I'd worked with in Road to Perdition. And I said, I don't, I don't think that's such a good idea, because at that point, Bond was a, you know, urbane, eyebrow-raising, you know, knowing, slightly camp, figure and 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 I just thought well how is this person who brings with him all this truth and power and rage and you know and and hurt and and vulnerability going to work in that part I didn't understand how it was going to here we are yes yeah. <laughs> and despite... I, I was right <laughs> <laughs> And despite his whisper campaign and his mm. attempts to sabotage you, you mm. don't return the favor. You, you uh, put his name in the hat for, for Skyfall. You know, it's just, it sort of sounds one of those made-up stories, but I was at, at a party, a very show-busy party, 
which is not somewhere I'm usually at, uh, and neither is he. We hadn't seen each other for 10 years, maybe, I don't know, whatever. And uh, anyway, Sam turned up, and I said, let's go and have a sit down, have a drink, and that. And as I was sitting with him, this sort of like, you know, Andrew Scott moment happened, you know, whatever, something just, and I just went, do you want to try out the next movie? And he kind of looked at me like it was, you know, this wasn't my place to be offering this job, and, and it certainly wasn't my place to be offering the job. <laughs> um, but I was drunk, so. Even in water and alcohol, this how this all came together. Yeah, um, what else do you need? Um, <laughs> and I just said, do you want to do it? And he looked at me kind of like I was crazy, and then went, yes. And I made a phone call to Barbara Broccoli that night, and I said, what about Sam Mendes? And she went, will he do it? And I went, yeah, I think he might. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and here we are. Is there anyone who would, who could leap to the defence of Sam Mendes? Tom, Math, Rob, um, I mean, Chris has made himself pretty clear. <laughs> Is there a place for him on Bond 26, if you consider, you know, imagine Purvis and Wade are got rid of? There is not a chance in hell that Sam Mendes is coming back. I'll, I'll tell you why. So he, like we said, <laughs> he no interest in be, being doing Bond. He'd done, a, he'd done that underrated film that no one's heard of that wasn't that good with Maya Rudolph and John Krasinski. His career was going a little bit, you know, not not from the heights of American Beauty and Road to mm-hmm. Bishop. Wasn't, wasn't, this is like an absolutely perfect way back. Because of Quantum... The producers were a bit, oh heck, well after Casino Royale, everyone, you know, we've got BAFTA nomination for Daniel and all this, and we can't go backwards. We need to get it more towards that kind of award season thing. So it, it, they each helped each other out, didn't they? Barbara and Michael wanted a more critically acclaimed director, a name director to boost sales for Skyfall. He wanted a, a big project to sort of get his name back in Hollywood, and because it worked, you know, Spectre did well at the box office, of course, as well. Look at his career since. It's more, I'm now going to writing. You know, his 1917 is like his own gimmick from the one shot of Spectre. Then Empire of Light, he's a single writer on it. It's his own, which is actually a lot better than those other films, in my view. But that that's the way he wants to go. He he wants to have his cake and eat it. I'm this old. They all do. And, he, you know, he's, in, he's a talented guy. He's a good theatre director. He's now a very filmic director, incidentally. All of his films are now very gimmicky in terms of the the shots and the, the you know the staging. They're very very filmic and obviously a film. Like I I don't particularly like that, but I quite I don't mind it being a sort of thing for that director. You know I always go on about the famous in Skyfall. They just stand, they get out of the car in Scotland, just stand, and you're like, what what on earth is this? This yeah. is like this is look at this Roger Deakin shot. That's all it is. Mm. And respect to one in what's a good scene in the meeting. There's just there's about a period of about thirty seconds silence where that guy's whispering to Christoph Waltz, and <laughs> it's just John Glenn would be like, yeah, but no, he won't. Where he won't. are the bumps? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where are the bumps? Yeah. Be, yeah, there they'd be like this. Yeah, I, right. So think about even Bond fans. Most Bond fans would be like uh, Marty Campbell's done two. They're both brilliant. I'd take him back. I've not heard anyone say they'd want Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I was going to say that. That yeah. answers its own question. That's, that's interesting, and you you know more than me yeah. on that because your ears to the ground way more with what the you know the what the fans. And he are is a good. You know, he's made some. I think American Beauty, Road to Perdition, scratching my head a little bit now, but he's made some very good films. <laughs> has no, he has. I, I, I watched Road to Perdition recently. Road to Perdition. It's really good. 
Very, yeah. very um, My favourite one, another Empire road, what? Revolutionary Road, excellent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Math, any thoughts on... Yeah, I, I, I think, <laughs> uh, just to add to what, what's, uh, well, just to echo kind of what's been what's been said, I think that with Skyfall, they almost had, not lightning in a bottle, but they had, they kind of realised, oh, we need to make this traditional and we need to, you know, we've got the Olympics and we've got all these things, it's fallen into place for, for people celebrating Bond and everything. Even though the film, as Chris just said before, does kind of, poke a bit of fun and doesn't want to celebrate some aspects of the of the bond life cycle or whatever you want to call it. I like I really I do really like Skyfall. There are issues with it. It's probably the one it's probably the one I most want to watch out of the Daniel Craig Bond films. There are parts of Spectre that I like and I think there are some decent kind of intentions, but ultimately quite a lot of it does fall flat and it is quite long. I don't know. Just hearing those quotes and you know him saying, oh you know well, you're England manager, you know, you know, you're either villain or, you know, well, no, you know, I know like Rob, you're a big, you're, you're a bigger fan of Spectre than maybe some of us. And I, you know, and I don't mind it as well. Parts of it, I'm sure we could, we could agree are objectively shocking. And yet he's still, he's still managed to make a film like 1917, where if you're a first time filmmaker, you don't get the money or the resources to, to do that. He seems to be doing all right. I don't think, you know, any failures yeah, that have been seen with Spectre have, uh, have damaged him too much. It's disrespectful so, to the fan base as well, really. There's no, yeah. not much coming back after that. I know. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have him I wouldn't have him back, probably equally with Forster for different for different reasons. But I think Mendez returning is at the top of my please no category I've got written <laughs> up on the okay. uh, side cool. here. Well let's let's uh, see. No, <laughs> we, we can we seriously we can leave it there. He doesn't want it, he doesn't like James Bond. No interest in the franchise as a whole. He's a filmmaker, the auteur sort of uh, character and role in the filmmaking spectrum. And that's fine. That's great. Go do your thing. You know, go do your thing because you're brilliant at it. Road to Perdition is a brilliant film. I watched it not too long ago. And it was absolutely outstanding. And I bawled my eyes out at it. Go do that. That's great. But he was interested in that. He clearly hates James yeah. Bond. So, uh, yeah, no thanks. He didn't kill him, though. Well, no, we yeah, all know so who did that. Next comes Kerry Fukunaga, and he did, obviously, the last James Bond film that there was. So oh, it's the Don't most... James Bond film. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's, it, he, is the, he is the most sensible current choice in many reasons, because he did the last one if you know what I mean. And that came after Mendes. So as we've all talked about, there are lots of things we struggle with in no time to die. But for me, Fukunaga's direction is actually not one of them. In fact, I think he probably deserves a certain amount of credit for steering such a bloated and, you know, overloaded self-serving film. He actually makes it watchable. And despite, you know, it's got, it's very lengthy, but he gives it pace, which I, I think he deserves some credit for. You know, if you're thinking of him, Imagine him getting a better film to direct, then, you know, it's not the worst thing. You look at quotes again, and he seems to be another one that's slightly ashamed. Well, no, he is, in fact, he is unashamed to distance himself from previous films. You know, fairly obviously, the two films that he cited as his favourites were Casino Royale and On a Majesty's Secret Service. Maybe predictable. He said that he likes the Daniel Craig era in comparison to the old Bonds. He, he liked the chance to make something new. He described a tremendous amount of freedom to reinterpret the character. These are quotes now. Bond has a lot of recurring tropes, but I think what's great about Daniel Craig's run is just how much raw and brutal and brooding he is. You know, that, and honestly, those are fair comments. That's fine. But 
this is where he falls down for me because he ends by saying, I much prefer that Bond than the one eyebrow up version. Just leave it out. Yeah. Leave that bit out. What I don't want there to be any duty, this sense of duty to criticize the past or to pick on eras of the franchise, which he should know better. He should be respecting the, the what the different decades and different eras have done to sustain the franchise. Again, when you when you think about the director coming in, you, I don't want any quotes like this out there for me to find on the internet that he doesn't like a certain period of the Bond franchise. Disrespectful to fans, and it's just unnecessary. Why? Why? And why do these directors openly distance them, distance themselves from parts of the franchise? And obviously the. The other big quote is that he said that Shane, Sean Connery's portrayal of Bond in Thunderball was basically a rapist. There's a, there's a weight, there's a, uh, a sort of responsibility to, to carry the torch of not only his character but the franchise and, and what it means to its fans and to the people who, who love James Bond. I like tradition. I like, um, I like carrying on, you know, uh, with tradition and, and with things that, that people believe in and trust in. So, I think the question about relevance for the 21st century, James Bond, comes down to the complexity of the character uh, enduring uh, time, and then the people around it who are carrying the torch, the, the, whether it be Daniel and the other actors or the, the, the filmmakers, being sort of antennas for the time they live in. And then you can't help but resonate what's happening around you, but that shouldn't be your focus. Your focus is, is still telling Bond's story. I think the things you see in this Bond film, which people expect but are also very excited to see are the cars what the cars do the gadgets what's q going to give him to save the world this time what are the things we've never seen before what are the impossible situations that he somehow finds his way out of he is my favorite iteration of bond and i think it's because of the complexity he's brought to the character and the vulnerability and the the sort of the the, the brutal sort of uh potential for violence uh i think that's a it's an interesting combination there to be able to, to take those skills and apply them now to, he, now he has wisdom, right? He has all this experience he's brought in over the last 15 years of doing these films, uh, not only as a, on the filmmaking side, but also on the character side. And there's a lot to play with there in terms of how interesting and how multifaceted of character he is now. I like him as a director. I think he did a great job directing No Time to Die. It wouldn't be utterly dreadful news if he were to direct. He would be... Um deserving in many ways of getting the next James Bond film. What are your thoughts on these quotes, Chris? And, <laughs> and, how, do, and how do they, can you look past these quotes and give him enough credit for his direction to see him doing another? And, and then there's stuff in his personal life as well that's happened since that, that mm. probably mm. makes him an absolute non-starter. But it's, it's these quotes that, you know, coming from Mendes and Fukunaga, we seem to be in this period where... These big names seem to be allowed license to be positive about some periods and sniffy about others of the mm. uh, the franchise. I, I, these these guys just have no class, you know. There's just the you know when you think about you know like John Glenn, you know people of the word, people who would never for a second slag off or be critical in public about someone else's work or someone else's you know uh, contributions to something i just think it, it just represents a lot about today in the media which is basically sound bites isn't it he was probably pushed into a corner so what do you think about this well you know someone would have said oh well you know what about all the the the, the kind of you know 
Bond is seen as some sort of you know sexual harasser. What do you think? And he would have said something stupid. Not to, not, and it's not to say that it's you know it's an excuse. I just think that just don't say anything. And I think that, yes. and the more I watch that film, the more I feel like actually he's a filmmaker who's only interested in the things that he's interested in. And when it comes to the ending, when it comes to the special effects, when it comes to the plot, when it comes to stuff that he can't show off, there's very little there. You know, yeah, it's it's there are scenes that are 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 great, and I feel that that's actually what he wants to do. And again, he's a you know, it felt like he was, you know, all the rumors of him, you know, playing video games and in, in his you know <laughs> in in his um, trailer and stuff, and having been have to be taught you know called to set. There's a lack of interest, and I think at times that's that's the problem with that film is that it's like I, as long as I'm not the center of attention, he's not really that interested. And you can see that, and that's why you see that dip in quality. And I think that that there is, and that's why people get all hot and bothered over Cuba scene or uh, the bit in Jamaica. It's because actually that's some decent filmmaking happening there. The rest of it is him is just like saying, "Yeah, go on, do whatever you need to do. We'll fix it in." you know, in post. And I, and I can't stand that kind of filmmaking because it's lazy. And I think if you're in charge of something, a huge franchise and a, in a huge film that is, you know, this is really important. This is the last one. I want your full attention every day and on set. I don't want you kind of going, oh, well, don't 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 worry about it, you know, because some of the special effects in, if I was Derek, if I would say, no, send it back. <laughs> you know, you're not getting away with that. You know, the editing at, in, at times is, you know, we slag off Quantum of Solace, but some of the editing in No Time to Die is awful. I, I, so, no, the short answer is no, I wouldn't have him back for, for a lot of reasons. I don't think he's right choice. I don't think that he would come back. I think he's he's got out, out of that what he wanted, which is to have, you know, to direct a Bond film. And, and, and he did it and he got some applause and it made enough money to keep the franchise alive. And he's gone on to do his Spielberg TV series. So his heart, his career is all fine. So I think uh, I can't imagine him coming back, and I wouldn't want him back. Wow, Chris, you came you came on far stronger than. I'm up for a fight tonight. <laughs> I don't, you know. I think it's hard to um, resist. You know what you're you're saying. When I most recently watched No Time to Die, it improved on me in terms of its its watchability, despite think... its d- despite its terrible, horrible content. It's watchable, and there's there's something in that. But he's 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 not an option, I don't think. There is that. There is that kind of when you go back, because like when I when I watched, you know, you there were, there were always Bond films. You thought oh, I didn't, oh, they didn't hit the spot for me, and then you go back and you start forgiving it, don't you? Because you love the series, you love the character, and so you're kind of desperate for, you know, I'll go back and watch that Daniel Craig one because I want to watch another Bond story that maybe I'm not that familiar with. And I will be like, oh, actually, that that bit in Skyfall is really great, and I get quite excited about it. And and I become more and more forgiving because I, I just want more Bond films. And so I'll say I'll let those things slide, and then you're like, actually, it's not as bad. And it is. It's just that I'm kind of I'm just letting <laughs> it go, and I'm becoming less harsh. But I think the reality is, you know, most of the time, your 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 gut instinct is is usually the right one. Math. Yeah, no, I I, I I agree that um I don't I actually think he's less powerful than like Mendez was. Yes. <clears throat> and I think by this point Craig is so powerful that the yeah. director wouldn't would never have as much power and there wouldn't be there'd be less probably the le- less uh, directors interested knowing how much say Daniel Craig would would have in it. So 
in some ways I like it, and in some ways it's quite it was quite nice to see a non-Mendez film. And there are good things in in No Time to Die that are to do with him. But ultimately, putting aside other things which I'll come on to, ultimately, I don't want the person responsible for No Time to Die to be coming back. You know, the ultimately responsible. I know, as I just said, I'm not sure how much actual responsibility mm. he did have, but whether you like it or not, he was the director of No Time to Die, and I don't want the director of No Time to Die coming back. <laughs> but, you know, the other things, things about harassing women, it's just, obvi- obviously, it's completely deplorable and unacceptable. I almost think Bond has a special place in film, and how dare you be doing doing this stuff anyway, but how dare you be, you, you have no business being involved with Bond, or any films if you're behaving like that, but, you know, I can't, you know, I can't abide that. And nor can I abide the com- these comments. You know, people became very sniffy in uh, in the 2000s and and beyond. Yeah. And it became, you know, and I, I think as many positive things as Casino Royale has going for it, I think it started with that personally. I think it was like, we need to strip away the gadgets. We need to strip away this, that and the other, you know. And then so that... Comments like, oh, not the eyebrow raising ones or not the, you know, it's called the radio or, you know, not exactly Christmas and all, you know, that comes from the decision to, because unforgivably, the makers of Bond started to agree or pretend to agree with with some detractors as a result of Die Another Day. Now, Die Another Day might have gone too far on those things, but there are other brilliant films that are seen as seminal moments in cinema that did those brilliantly in Bond films. You know, Goldfinger introducing an ejector seat in a in a car, and uh, I, I could go on, but and and you know, you know, the Spy Who Loved Me, another one that people love and look to. That's not exactly, you know, that's an eyebrow raising one. That's one where there's loads of gadgets, but people love it. So why why are we coming out and suddenly saying, you know, the director of this Bond film basically saying, oh, the only ones I like are the ones the f- four previous ones. What are you talking about? Yeah, I, I agree. Why? I don't know what. For some reason, people have to almost go along these these lines, and you know, it's it's the same. It used to be the same. Whenever someone was cast as a comic book character, they said, "Oh, I I loved reading the comics as as a kid. Oh, I loved it." What about the films or the TV series or the animated? Because that's really you can't all have been reading every single comic of the you know Captain Marvel or something. So. I don't know. I just think people, you know, they have public- publicists who tell them what they should say and what they shouldn't say. Yeah. But there are some directors, thankfully, and filmmakers who, some of the best ones, who generally don't make controversial statements. They they celebrate cinema and they celebrate the good things about the, the films that they love. If they're drawn in on something, they'll play a fairly pleasant straight bat and and won't and won't just crap all over something that they're supposed to be, you know helming so yeah so no to fukunaga pleasant straight back the uh, phrase i will use long into the night <laughs> again no you, the, the myriad reasons and this is extra painful for me because uh i think true detective series one is my favorite Yep, series of yeah. anything of all time, endlessly rewatchable and endlessly brilliant, and shows that Fukunaga really is a genius when it comes to the moving image format and storytelling. So that's where that sits. So it's very painful for me to to look at him as being the overseer of James Bond's murder. Yes, murder, 
No, he didn't die. Killed. By M. <laughs> yeah, let's not go. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, and screenwriters and producers and that pesky star who wanted him dead. No, I, I don't. I, I just, I think anyone associated with the last 20 years can just go. I just don't want any anything to do with where it's become. Right. Could you imagine, you know, like, so who was it? Sam Mendes brought a football analogy into it. So I'll bring a football analogy back, right? Can you imagine uh, we've just uh, appointed you manager of uh, Manchester United. Let's just go Manchester United. Okay. First press conference. Well, I'm I'm very happy to be here to take her at Manchester United. I've honestly thought this club has been awful for quite some time. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to changing things and updating it. Into the... Who is that going to appeal to? Who is that? Uh, and we're not, we're, I mean, sometimes for these people to look at what they've got, and go, you know what, I'm pretty lucky to have this. This is something that a lot of filmmakers mm. would do anything for. Rather than just go, you know what, I'm too big, I'm too bold, um, which is their own, probably their own words, I'm going to uh, just use this. I, I, honestly, I think most of these people use it as a stepping stone to something more, including Daniel Craig. You know, I don't know what's more than playing James Bond, but I think that, you know, I thought it was super transparent the way he wanted to win an Oscar. And the way everyone tried to contrive to win him an Oscar, because if you're an Oscar-winning actor, the world is your absolute oyster, isn't it? You can go and do whatever you want. So he used, uh, for me, he used James Bond as the mechanism to go and do that. You've got directors wanting to do that as well, right? This is a stepping stone. Look, like you, like we were saying before. Look, I can work with these people. I can work with these people. I can work with multiple units. You know, I can storyboard. I can write. Look at that. Look at that, everyone. I can write without actually paying any attention or any care or any respect uh, to everything that's gone before. Truthfully, I, like, I love the idea that like, the more we've talked about this to this point, and recent directors who come, could come back and step in, the more angry we've all got. <laughs> well, well, no, <laughs> I think... Fiercely angry. <laughs> I agree, Rob, but I think this is kind of telling us what we want because now I'm picturing... Whenever the next bond, whenever Bond Twenty Six is announced, I want if it's a you know a, a press conference or a press release or whatever it is, I want the director, whoever's playing Bond, the people involved. I want them all to be smiling. I want them all to be proud that they're in a Bond film. I want ah, them to yeah. all to be like loving of everything that's gone before. And I think it's been a very a, not always pleasant journey this last 20 years, has it? Because of, you know, you've got your own, you know, the directors or the the stars not always being proud of it. Yeah, Harry, can can I just... I'm owning it. You've really... I'm thinking back to the announcement of No Time to Die when it was Clara Ampho, no offence to her, um, with the sort of the announced stars of the film with... I think Daniel Craig was there, wasn't he? With Rami Malek via video link and Lashana Lynch and um, yeah, yeah, the one from Jamaica. If you showed them a picture of Teehee or Kamal Khan, <laughs> not a single one of them would have known who that was. Or you know, no. there was just yeah. no, there was no sense of you know, no connection. Maybe, maybe there was some joy no. that they were in the Bond brand, but not the Bond film series. You're absolutely right, Matt. It would have been like, was he from? Take Teehee, for example, they'd have been like, he was he was a Roger Moore one, wasn't he? He was yeah, in a Roger Moore that, one, wasn't he? That's as specific as they could get, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it, it's just, you don't so, know how good you've got it to be involved with this. 
I think, like Rob said, you know, it's like bringing out some kind of anger in us, but I do think this is mm-hmm. part of the process of us discovering what we want. When Rob was having his sort of speech then, I, I totally agree now. I think that's it. I think we need a completely fresh start. I think everybody. If Barbara and Michael are still in charge, fair enough, because it's theirs at the moment. But everybody else. I, I really, you know, Purvis and Wade, I was thinking about them then. I almost feel sorry for them in a way because for all their, you know, deficiencies as screenwriters, they're quite happy to get taken over, usurped. Every single film, you know, oh, no, we've got a we've got a trendy Jez Butterworth, we'll let him come in. Oh, trendy Phoebe Waller-Bridge, we'll let her come in. Oh, John Logan, good, oh, good, let him, you know, Oh, yeah. Daniel Craig's writing some of Quantum of Solace. Oh, Kerry Finagher's writing some of it. Sam Mendes is now gearing all this. He's changing everything. Dan- Even Danny Boyle, you know, he- he's brought yeah. in his own screenwriter um, after that. No, we're changing it, changing it. And they're sort of... <laughs> I don't know whether Daniel Craig has heard of them. I've no- I don't know. You know, I don't... They're just, they're just there. Kerry Fukunaga comes in. Right, look, so uh, the perfect example of how it should be done, you might... This is an unusual example Solo, the Star Wars film, where they've, they've fil- you know, they might have even started filming the Lord Brothers. They're a bit auteur. I don't know. They're not necessarily auteurs, but they like that same sort of humour, don't they? And yeah. It is, it is good. It's, I prefer that to the Marvel humour. It's slightly better. But then for some reason, no, no, it's not good enough. Star Wars is not good enough for us. We, we want more. And, I, okay, yes, I'm erring on the side of they're in the wrong and... Kathleen Kennedy or whatever are in the right. But, oh, Ron Howard, and I'll, this might come into a later conversation. I think a director who has basically produced some of the greatest blockbusters of our lives to come in at the last minute, not bothered, get on with it, produce a decent film, which is not annoying, which is not controversial, and is not showy whatsoever. And, and it's almost by the numbers in its inoffensiveness. And that's Kerry mm. Fukunaga should have come at it with that attitude. And I think, to be fair to him, he had so many people who were of the, that same arrogant attitude surrounded by, where we want to make this the greatest thing ever. We, for your consideration, the Oscars, everything like that. And he stood no chance. And then you hear the, the stuff in his personal life and you think, goodness me, he fits right in, doesn't he? You know, he, he sounds like a pretty horrible guy, a really arrogant guy. I'm not someone who I don't think that necessarily has any effect on whether he's a good director. You know, there's lots of awful, horrible people who are brilliant actors, brilliant directors, brilliant musicians, etc. So I don't. I mean, he, he he won't come back for that reason alone. You know, they're not going to touch him. Mm. But for the the guy who it was well, not that it was his idea, but Danny Boyle obviously didn't want it. He was happy to use this, knowing that Bond was going to be killed by him. He can't in the same way as I can't have. I love Ray Fiennes as M, but I can't have the guy who killed Bond back for the new Bond. I can't have the guy who directed the oh. film that ended. How am I going to kill Bond? Because they said, didn't they, the first idea is Bond's going to die. Let's work backwards from that. I can't have awesome. that person being, how do I introduce the new James Bond? Like, it's No, it's completely different. I agree with Rob. He's, a, he's been brilliant in, in the True Detectives and other things he's done, but no. And I, And I do know that as soon as it was finished filming in the press run-up, they were saying, yes, we might have him back. So I don't think they will do now because of the, you know, the personal life stuff. But goodness me as well, Matt, the, that, that, no one seemed that bothered, did they, in the press, all the press interviews. No, they're all doing us a favour. Yeah. Yeah. We absolutely was like, we have to go through this. Sorry, guys. 
And it was almost a chore to get the film out. Yeah, oh, yeah. People who movie. hate movies talking about movies. Well, yeah, yeah. Because it should have been, yes, the fans and everyone were like, finally it's out. It's, you know, COVID's coming to an end. It's a brilliant thing for British cinema. And it works, you know, the box office. In England, not not really in America. I don't, people don't seem to, you know. But in Britain, it was a massive success. And it, But it... <laughs> it's almost like an apology. Sorry that this amazing film that we've given you, yes, it's got amazing stuff like the soap opera stuff, but sorry that it's only a Bond film. You know, we'll try and we'll try and do better next time, lads. And that's the impression I got. And I don't that attitude yeah. has to go. We have it Keep listening for part two of our discussion of James Bond Rule Return on which new directors we might get, with a particular focus on one Christopher Nolan chap. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 